Welcome to the sixth Pentecast episode, or 350, of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, in-person brother. I'm confused. I'm I'm confused about this sixth Pentecast thing. Wouldn't it be the seventh Pentecast? Oh, it is seven. We're already past Aren't six. Aren't you usually the math guy and I'm the math guy? I'm thinking we were only at 300. No. So now we're going to 350. We're, we're just crushing it so hard we don't even remember. I really thought we were at 300. <laughs> <laughs> I just brought us back. When I was doing the division, I was like, it can't be past more than 300. So I was like, let's just go to six. <laughs> My word. It's been a long day in the sun today. It has been yes. a long day. That's true. A good day. But here we are. We are. We're coming live from beautiful Ocean Grove, <laughs> New Jersey. Live live for us. I suppose we're always broadcasting live for us. Yes, exactly. But not live for, for y'all. But yeah, we're we're vacationing in our one of our favorite places. We're together we're on the front porch. Probably getting some strange looks as people walk by with their dogs. It's great. Yeah, it's true. If you can imagine this, way. it's as like quintessential as it possibly could be. We are literally on, like none of that language f- was figurative for the record. Oh no, yeah, literally on we're porch. sitting on a porch, yeah. It's summer, it's muggy, the sun has set. It's a neighborhood where people are just walking around. It's true. And wondering what we're doing. We do have a pretty distinct lack of Lutherans on the <laughs> show today compared to our last time we broadcast live from Ocean Grove. <laughs> So we tried to find some Lutherans, but there just weren't any around this year. Cut to that person who just found this podcast right now <laughs> and was thinking, oh, this time it's just two random guys talking about Reformed theology. Usually there's a host yeah. of Lutherans, like just yes. a, a cornucopia of Lutherans it's that true. are part of the conversation. This never happened, but I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, if you just do like percentages of muscle, then Chad Bird's forearms were like... A disproportionately high percentage of our podcast for the last time we were here. I had no idea where you were going. <laughs> but the, again, this is like the kind of great metrics you can count on for us. One, I'm going to get wrong the number of Pentecosts <laughs> that are divided into yes. our full catalog. And second, that we're going to make a metric. You've heard of like listeners, you've heard of downloads, muscle mass. <laughs> Lutheran muscle mass. Lutheran muscle mass. Yes. The L mass, not the C mass. <laughs> Oh, uh, we're not even drinking anything. No, this is so this is so Straight good. Up. But let's we'll we'll as carry on as best that we can. Let's do some affirmations and nows. What are you affirming with? So I'm affirming with a little book called Christianity and Liberalism, which was published a hundred years ago How dare uh, you. by J. Grassimation. And more specifically, I'm actually affirming the podcast that Westminster Seminary is putting out where they kind of take like a, a theme or a topic and they talk to someone famous about it. So they did an episode with Kevin DeYoung. It was kind of like an introduction episode. They've done a couple episodes now with, um, what's her name? The gospel comes with the house key lady. Why am I not remembering her name? I should have written this down. I have no idea. She was the, the uh, women's studies professor. She was like a really hardcore lesbian and now she's like married, has a bunch of kids. What's her name? I'm, I'm trying. I'm the only, trying. The only thing I think of is Rosa Parks, and that's definitely not it. That's definitely not it. It'll come to me. Well, listen, matter. I've totally misunderstood that story then. <laughs> anyway, so they have this podcast. It's very good. 
check it out. Uh, it's it's basically they've republished Christianity and liberalism, uh, which is a seminal text for kind of the the culture war that we find ourselves in. Right. Right. So there's always a culture war, but the particular flavor of culture war that we find ourselves in in 2023, you can really look back and it sort of goes back to things going on in the earliest part of the 20th century. And Jay Gresham Machen writes this book called Christianity and Liberalism. And the whole point is that Christianity and liberalism, which is probably slightly different than what we yes. think of when we think of liberalism, right. um, which is why it's important for us to read the book. But um, he makes the point and the title itself makes the point that Christianity and liberalism are totally different. They're different religions entirely. Yes. So, so just because liberalism uses um, Christian language doesn't make it Christianity. And it, it really, honestly, like it's kind of, have you read this book, Jesse? <laughs> I'm just asking you. I, I'm going to defer for a second. Okay. Continue, please. So we'll see why. The, the book is is prophetic in the sense that like when you read it, you feel like you could be reading a book that was read, written like yesterday. It's straight up. For those people totally, weirded, totally out weirded out by us, that's fine. That's totally fine. Um, what's really funny is I'm holding a microphone that definitely does not look like it's supposed to be a handheld microphone. So... Everything about this is great. Literally a couple just walked by <laughs> and as they got out of sight of Tony, I could see them turn to one another and make some <laughs> some sharp comments. This is even better than when people see us driving with you holding yeah. a mic in front of my face. That is true. This is even better than that because we can see the people. We we need our yeah. listeners to come. It's just totally derailed, but I want to get back to what you're saying. And, and it, it's just sounding more and more awkward, but I'm just going to lean into it now. Maybe we need the listeners to try to come up with awkward situations in circumstances yeah. in which we could record. Yes, that could be a fun game. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. please return to Christmas. Anyway, it's a phenomenal book. It's really, really important for our time because it sets up the same dichotomy that we are faced with in our era. And the issues that he was facing back then are slightly different, but the philosophical underpinnings of the issues that he was facing um, are virtually identical. Um, and he he was way ahead of the game. So th they're going through, since they've republished this on the 100th anniversary, they're going through and highlighting some of the specific um, specific topics. That, the woman's name still has not come to me. So as soon as you start talking and I stop talking, I'm going to look it up. But. Just Yeah, just let it happen. So uh, all of this is fantastic. And as we talked about beforehand, I wasn't even sure where I was going to go off my affirmation denial, but you just gave me the most beautiful intro in part. So here's what happened. When you said the key thing in the houses, all that came into my mind was, is it Joanna Gaines? No, no, it's the it's, Gaineses, the no, people no, no, that no. do the the home renovation. Oh no, no, it's totally different. No, it's not. I know it's not her, oh, but that's okay. all that came into my yeah. mind. And now I couldn't get them out, so I was like Joanna and Chip, and that's all I can think of now. And yeah, Magnolia Farm or something like that. So it's decidedly not that. Second thing was, uh, I haven't read all of that book because I just picked it up for oh. this trip and only just read the introduction. Yeah. So I'll just jump on with you because I didn't know what the book was exactly going to be about. And even the introduction takes a little bit of a turn. And it's surprisingly clear for a very complex topic. He writes in a way that's like super crisp, yeah. but that definitely challenges you. It's the kind of thing you've got to wade into a little bit because yeah. it'll make you work. But just enough to get slightly sweaty, but not too sweaty. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's the just the right kind of reward. But I can already tell it's going to be like super rich. Yeah. And dense like a good bunt cake. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. not 
Not too much. Yeah. Just enough. So I think I'm just going to go with like a preemptive affirmation and join you in that. Yes. And maybe couple this together with, I didn't know it was the 100th anniversary. Yeah. Um, yeah. But technically that's only two Pentecasts. Yeah. Or we're two way, Pentecosts. we got way more pent- Pentecasts underneath our Yeah. So whatever. But I'll allow it. Yeah. I mean, the thing that strikes me, you know, in 1923, when this was being written, public schools were not super, super, super prominent. Right. Um, and, you know, the public schools at the time were not this sort of like anti-religious establishment thing that they have become. But even back then, he was starting to point out that public schools, especially if they become, I was, I'll, I'll preface this with the latest episode. Actually, if you're looking to get into the book and you want to get a flavor of it, the latest episode that Westminster put out was just the, the introduction from uh, the audiobook that they just produced. So he even points out that the public schools, when they become the monopoly on public education or education in general, to the exclusion of other ways of educating your kids, um, they become this vehicle of the state to indoctrinate and to sort of like create a homogenous people, which is very much contrary to, to a lot of different values that Christianity holds as far as what education's for the purpose of, of educating your children, who's responsible for educating your children. That was in 1923 when, when the public schools were, you know, more or less teaching the same things. They were even teaching things like Bible class and things like that. Now we look at the public schools, they're very different. But what he was saying was sort of like um, he was sort of like anticipating the right. change in the secular public schools. So it's just, it's worth reading, even if you walk away from it not being fully convinced by some of his arguments. Um, it's worth reading because it, it, it sort of is kind of takes you out of time a little bit. It's right. to borrow your phrase, it's kind of this eternal contemporary that he's got going where it's yeah. everything he's saying is applicable to our day almost directly. Like you wouldn't have to really modify the book at all to be written in our day. Yet it was written a hundred years ago by someone in a totally different context. So check it out. Uh, check out the podcast too, because the book can be a little bit um, like you're saying, like it takes a bit of work. Yeah. And the podcast will help to sort of like alleviate that because like Kevin DeYoung's episode is very good where he sort of like sets the stage for what's going on historically, but then also talks about some of the like undercurrents that are going on philosophically that you need to understand as well. Right. It's one of those books that has like the most cliche review, which is always something like this book could have been written yesterday. Yeah. But in this case, it is actually true. And part of what you're talking about, that's all that forms, that argument starts to form really in the introduction. That was the part for me that was a twist. I was just not expecting yeah. when I picked up this book. And he actually calls that tyranny, or yeah. a type of tyranny at least. Yep. And to your point, I think on the face, even with how you're describing it, it might sound like, well, that just sounds like some like crazy Christian nonsense. Right. But I think in part, his really strong arguments, that's the whole goal of this, yeah. is to get you to think. Think about what's happening. We've taken as normative something we talk about education just by way yeah. of example. And he's basically saying you ought to challenge that and think about what it means. How a culture or an organization or even a government might try to find a way to push out what they consider to be a marginalized opinion about something and do that by way of education. Yeah. It's a really interesting line of thought. So definitely worth considering. Yeah. My favorite thing in, is I had to laugh. I was walking, I was walking with the baby in my in the stroller. I was not in the stroller. The baby was in the stroller. And um, I had to laugh because he he seems very upset that uh, kids who are not eighth grade have not even learned Greek and Latin yet. 
Like he makes a big <laughs> yeah. point about it. And then he says like, they're not even allowed to start studying until after it's too, le- yes. too late for them to learn yes. it well. Yes. And I, that, that like struck me like, man, oh, that's actually really true. Like so much language development happens in those early years. That's why getting languages, it, it just, it was very prescient. And, and even things like Spanish language learning now, which is different than, you know, different than why you would study Greek and Latin, obviously, right. even that doesn't start usually until seventh or eighth grade now. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's worth reading. As I said, even if you walk away from it, not convinced of his arguments or not convinced of this sort of dichotomy between Christianity and liberalism that he's setting up and arguing for, it's still worth reading because it just, it's that important, especially if you exist in kind of the reformed world. It was such a seminal definitive text and so much of the reformed world points back to it or is a reaction to this perspective that he puts in place. Um, Even like denominational lines are drawn by Machen um, as a figure. We could get into a whole thing about Machen as a a historical figure and his importance, but we'll leave that to the Reform Forum guys because they they've been doing like 7,000 episodes on they're out there. Yeah. Way more Pentecost than us. That's true. Uh, And most of them are on Machen apparently. (laughs) There's a lot of meat there. Yeah. That's a, that's a big meaty Machen bone that you can definitely chew on. All right, let's move on then to doing some denials. What are you denying against? So as much as I want to gush over this podcast that I just promoted, I'm (laughs) denying the fact that at the end of every episode, they have a full length rap song by Timothy Brindle. Oh, wow. So like, Which like song? Do you know? it's one he wrote for the podcast. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I mean, the song is good. Yeah. But you but don't need to add that? It's like six minutes long. You don't wow. need to add that to the end of every single episode. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like our little outro of like 17 seconds of Hey Brother is more than probably should be there. And polarizing from what I understand. Yeah, apparently. It can be. Yeah. But yeah, Timothy Brindle doesn't know how to write a brief song, and I'm not saying he yeah. should. His music is fantastic. Yeah. I think the Unfolding album is among the highest in Christian rap, like, ever. Yeah. But that's because it is so deep, and he's like, I got a lot to say, and we're going to yeah. go through the entire topic. It's basically a sermon, right, with a beat to a beat. Right, right, yeah, but you don't need to add that to the end of a full-length <laughs> podcast episode. So especially when I already listen to podcast episodes at three times speed, it's just like my ears start to bleed with the first time at least. Did you let it go all the way? Because you were you like, this has got to end at some point. You're just like, I'm just curious how long is it going to go? I did. I did. I was kind of like, maybe it's just a first episode thing. Like they wrote the song for this. It's just like the first episode they're going to do that. And I was like, this is kind of long. I probably wouldn't have done that. But whatever. It's their podcast. They can do whatever they want. And now it's like, well, it's their podcast. They can do whatever they want, but skip. And then I remember us saying like, if you don't like affirmations and denials you can just hit that 15 second forward button i was like i should just make sure i complain about it publicly and then just skip it next time you've i, I mean you can hit that button you gotta jam that bad boy a couple That's times true, yeah. for us. well and usually i think for me okay let me let me backtrack a little bit because yeah. this is my public service announcement aspect of this okay i'm usually listening to podcasts when i'm driving yeah and so i don't necessarily want to be like trying to pull out my phone to skip forward and even when I'm listening at three times speed, like that's still two minutes of a, of a song at the end of a podcast. And now it's two minutes of a song that I can't even listen to because it's too fast. So it, it just, yeah, it's jarring. It, it's it's not good. And then it makes it look like the episode's longer than it actually is by like a significant margin. <laughs> so if, you, if you're part of the Westminster podcast, just, just don't, know. just, just drop it out of there. You don't need to have the whole five minutes. You heard it here first. I'd like to think that when they were speaking about conceiving the podcast and then inviting Timothy Brindle, they actually said to him, Hey, we'd love for you to like, just compose like a a simple quick outro (laughs) 
And this is his version of that. Because yeah. he's like, have you heard the rest of my music? They sent it to the editing guy and they were like, he's like, oh, it seems weird to me. Yeah. But they said this was his outro that he wrote. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, my outro is six minutes. You're welcome. And I'm sure they were like, we got to play the whole thing, right? Yeah. We cut this thing down. Yeah, I'm sure they paid him for it too. So it's not like he probably didn't do it for free. That's true. They're like, we better use it because we just, we spent money on it. So. Right. Something like that. So. But I'd like to think that that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Timothy Brendel, you're welcome on the Reform Brother at any time. It's true. You, if you want to write for us a six minute outro, we'll never use it. But yeah, we, we might use it once. It. We might use it once. <laughs> I would uh, love to hear it. Yes. I would love it if Timothy Brindle would write a rap song for our show. I'm not sure what it would be about really. Yeah. But he could just listen to every episode, all 350 episodes, including this one, and then right. summarize that into well, a- Now you're talking about AI be like Timothy a, Brindle. That'd be pretty sweet. Just in his style. Chad Brindle GPT. <laughs> Well, here's what we've done, of course, over these 350 episodes is just collected, I think, what we would consider, I don't know, like a, uh, some, I was trying to think of like some kind of superhero, what are they called, the Avengers? It is the yeah, Avenging group. The Avengers, yes. yeah. I just don't know what they'd be, we'd be Avenging, but we've, we have pastors in residence, we have Lutherans in residence, we need a rapper in residence. It's true. Yeah. R-I-R. R-I-R. So I feel like that could be Timothy Brindle. Yeah. Somebody yeah. must know him. He's not that far away from us. I feel like we should be able to get him yeah, to Yeah, I feel like there's got to be a six degrees of separation thing going on where you could get to anybody in the Reformed world through, probably through less and probably from the pub gas. I in would this guess case, the, like six minutes yeah, of separation. And Sinclair Ferguson. If you can get one of those two <laughs> groups, like if you could get less yeah. or Sinclair Ferguson and be connected to them on a first degree, you Amazing. get to anybody. Amazing. Yeah, before I forget, the woman who wrote the book that I was referencing earlier is Rosaria Butterfield. Oh. Which I, I guess I was you. closer than I thought with Rosa Parks. Yes. But I it that definitely is not well, Rosa. Yeah. I got Rosa Parks in my head and I just couldn't get past it. Rosaria Butterfield. And the book I was referencing is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. But yeah, she she her history just made her an ideal person to, for that episode. And of course I heard the the house part and thought about renovating the gospel right. house. Joanna yeah. Gaines. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. What do you deny against? That was the, I just did the denial. It was the five minute outro. Just the five minute outro. Yeah. That's it. That's oh. it. There's no other complaints about the, the show. Just the five minute outro. <laughs> and I like Timothy Brindle. It's not like, uh, it's not like I'm complaining about the, the choice thought, of music. I thought this was like a setup for. No, no, no. That's the whole thing. Like something deeper and, and more strange and exotic that was yeah. happening there. Like these kids that are. It's true. Just flying by us right now. Yeah. You know, I would love if, if what would happen right now is if the police rolled up <laughs> and we'd be like, we're just doing a podcast. There's Some, nothing weird going on. We're just doing a podcast. called the cops. Yeah. And here's what we would promise you. We'd keep it rolling. Oh, we would. Yeah. Yeah. We'd ask them what the chief end of man is. They'd be like, don't get smart with me. It would just be, yeah. I would be happy to describe to you Tony getting thrown on the ground and cops. <laughs> you got a phone. You could live stream it. Be, that's true. Yeah. You'd have to sign up for Facebook. All quick, of a sudden though. it's viral. Jesse wouldn't even know how to do Meanwhile, that. Meanwhile, Timothy Brindle's like, I could have been on that podcast. <laughs> The last thing I'll say is, Ken, is there a possible combination in which we get Sinclair Ferguson and Timothy Brindle, same episode, we figure out what the overlapping part of the Venn diagram is in which they both, besides just being reformed, like there's got to be something deeper, personally, that connecting them. Well, I mean, Westminster Seminary is no, probably yeah, but, it. Yeah, it's got to be beyond that. Like, 
There's, There's got to be, be like a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that would be the whole point of the show is we just keep asking them questions until, you know, I don't know, both of them are like, you love croissants? You know, like something like that. <laughs> I feel like that would be a really fun podcast, actually, if you just got like two. There we go. Two relatively famous or actually famous people on a show and then just talk to them until you figured out where their overlap was. Right. I feel like Timothy Brindle and Sinclair Ferguson would probably. It's not bad, right? It would be a good show. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you it'd know, just be an excuse for me to get Sinclair Ferguson. Well, that, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> sorry, no offense sorry, to Timothy, Timothy Brindle, but I, I just Sinclair's <laughs> in a different different category. Yeah, that's true. We're about to get attacked by moths out here too, so that'll be fun podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, which reminds me, so apparently on your iPad, we both have iPads in front of us. About to quote from some uh, great scripture and yes. some other things. You're obviously not night mode on that bad boy. I'm not night mode. No, no, yeah, I go full. That, like I go hard every day. Yep, I go full out. I don't care about my battery life. So that's what makes this great is we're both sitting mostly in the dark, except that you've got this like <laughs> emanating from below you. That kind of looks like the campfire where you're telling yeah. a creepy story. Yeah. So, or maybe Moses coming down from the mountain. It's like my favorite. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought for some reason we were talking about, uh, I was thinking more of like Saul going and, you know, seeing the sorceress woman. No, I did read that passage the other did day. Did you? Yeah, what's crazy to me, we're just We've talked gonna, about that before. we're never going to get to the episode. It's totally fine with this me. This is it. What's crazy to me about that passage is it's like it in one verse it says Saul put all of the the you know mediums and necromancers out of the out of the country of Israel. He exiled all of them, and then like the next verse he's like, "Go find me one," and they just do. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like insane that yes. that they're just still there. It's but, a a yeah. recanonization of the lands. So yeah, speak, very much right? so. I also love how that that lady was like, wait a second here. Yeah. There's a real ghost coming up out of this pit. Who are you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That is so much. We've talked about that, right? Did we talk about that whole scene as part of like, we're talking about ghosts or spirits? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That in, was a long in time general, ago. In general. It might have been as that part was of like, like a question. That was probably like five or six Pentecasts ago. Yes. At least. Manti. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ago. Yeah. I think we're just excited to be in the same place on a it's porch true. recording. It's and true. so we'll, we'll get to the episode. Okay. So here's my denial. Very quick. So we're in this lovely community, but to be in this community, you have to do one thing at least passably well to survive. And that is parallel park a vehicle. Now I'm denying it because like not a lot of people love to do it. There are some people that are good at it. Some of the vehicles will automatically do it. It's true. That is cheating. That's yeah. cheating. You should be able to try to parallel park. But uh, I guess this may be like an actual affirmation wrapped in denial because right before we started talking and actually recording our conversation, I was talking how much I actually enjoy watching others try to parallel yes. park, which maybe I'm denying my own sinful nature that takes some pleasure, <laughs> shouted for it of some kind. Not necessarily somebody's suffering, but it's kind of like, although like I've been in this community when somebody's parallel parked well and kind of give them like the fist yeah, bump oh, yeah. or like been like, that was amazing. Yeah. So when you see it done, but usually you don't like to do it, especially if you're under the gun yeah. and around here, you gotta have to do it fairly you quickly. Do. Most times you do. And, and sometimes the spots are surprisingly deceptively smaller than tight. they seem. Yeah. They're, they're tight. Little known fact in Minnesota, you can actually fail major portions of your driver's exam and still get your driver's license. Okay. So when I was going to get my driver's license and I was doing the parallel parking, the one exception is if you hit the cone, you fail automatically, no matter how well you've done on the other ones. If you hit any of the cones, that is virtually hitting another vehicle. So you just fail. I'm doing the parallel parking. And after about 15 minutes of me trying to get in the spot, the guy goes, you got enough to pass. Just go on to the next thing. (laughs) 
just like waved me through like you're not gonna get this yeah he gave you that prevenient grace it's true your... it's true i'm one of those semi cheaters now though because i use my backup camera pretty uh is that cheating, pretty aggressively it's, I mean, it's still not it's like half cheating compared to like the automatic parallel parking yeah robots i guess so well again we're in a place and i cannot convey this enough probably all of the packing is this way yeah right like i'm not under emphasizing yeah that. unless you're right on the main street and then you have some like angled pull-ins but right yeah everywhere else and and it's it's all like weird one-way streets too so you you have to if you want to find a spot you have to know like the patterns right and sometimes it's hard because you can see a spot that you want to get to but you can't really figure out how do i actually get to that spot it's a puzzle yeah, so sometimes you have to take the parallel parking spot that you don't want because it's yes, the, right. It's the only one you know how to get to. Right. So I've seen I've seen lots of people who try really hard to park and they give up and they have to go on somewhere else. Yeah, and there's so there's last thing I'll say about this because I thought this was like really uh, like both funny and true, like true in a kind of way that you're like, yes, this is how God operates. He does care like this. But yesterday there was a lot. There was a big vent here, and uh, not far from where we were sitting, we we're all sitting outside again. There was a person who had re was rejoicing, who obviously did not come to this area often. And they were rejoicing with somebody who lived on the block saying, I got a spot. I got a spot. I was able to park like in just fine because it was on the end. So you didn't have yeah. to do the sneaking between two vehicles that were bookending you in the spot. And this other woman was like ex exclaiming with ecstatic joy. I was praying. I was praying. <laughs> I was like, what a great God that we have yeah. that like providentially parking is providential. I, if you come here and you will have a firm conception of providence oh, yeah. just in trying to arrange your vehicle. But I was like, right on, right on. What a good and glorious God. I think we're going to talk about Ocean Grove more because we're going to do another, uh, another beach cast here, Ocean Grove cast. Excellent. We'll record another one while we're here. And I'm sure that we'll talk more about Ocean Grove and, and what this place is and, right. and where we are. Something coming up. So what we are going to talk about, though, well, we think we're going to talk about, is we're still working our way through the Lord's Prayer or the prayer our Lord gave to his disciples to pray. Pray in this pattern. And we're moving our way deliberately through the words, taking our time to really chew on them. It is the summer of prayer. And we've talked about all kinds of things so far. And we find ourselves now talking about God's kingdom or the kingdom we're supposed to ask for. Let me read the prayer again as it appears in Matthew 9. This is Jesus giving it to his disciples, which includes us. And beginning in verse 9 of chapter 6, he says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. By the way, and the service that I attended yesterday here, it's their tradition after the time of the pastoral prayer to always pray this. I love that. Again, it's, yeah. it's almost like importing in this idea of we've prayed and we're trying to pray in this pattern and let's remind ourselves of what that pattern is. Yeah. So we processed a lot so far and it's sequential, it's building, there's a zenith that's coming, I would say, and kind of this architecture of the prayer. And we find ourselves, I think, accelerating into it with these words, the three words, your kingdom come. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much packed in to, we've, we've already kind of said this a bunch of times, but each clause of this prayer has so much theology and so much 
um, just doctrine baked into it. Right. And so, as you said, it builds on itself. So we've already covered that. It's, he's our father. He's our father who's in heaven. And that is there, as we said, to talk about wh- who is this God that we're praying to. But it also is there to set up and establish for us now, what is this kingdom that we're asking for God to bring right. here? And and to read out of our confessional standards here, out of the Westminster Larger, um, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's pretty lengthy, but it says, In the second petition, which is thy kingdom come, acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and Satan, we pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed, the gospel propagated throughout the world, the Jews called, and the fullness of the Gentiles brought in. So it's it's this emphasis on on God's work in bringing his people to himself. I think especially in the philosophical kind of pop theology world we're in right now where Christian nationalism is like a major discussion. Right. We first and foremost think about the kingdom of God and conversations about the kingdom of God. We're thinking about it in sort of this like pseudo political world. Like what does it mean for this world to look like God's kingdom? That's what we tend to think about. But what our what our Westminster divines are telling us and helping us understand that the Bible is teaching on this is that it's really more about the salvation of God's elect. That's what we're praying for. We'll talk about what it means for God's will to be done on earth. That that we're, they're going to come to that, and that's more along the lines of what Christian nationalism or theonomy, what they're getting at, what right. they're arguing for, is this idea of God's will being done on earth. But this is really focusing more on the salvation of God's people, and then the propagation and expansion of the church. Are you smirking because someone's parallel parking? It's not, it's a pull in parallel park. Yeah. This is great. This is phenomenal podcasting. I feel like I need to have like a GoPro on my head so you guys can all see what I'm seeing. They got lucky. That was a pull in. Yeah. Providence. It's true. Providence. Oh, I thought you were, sorry, I totally interrupted you. No, I lost it. It's gone. That's my, that's totally my (laughs) fault. Yeah, I agree with you. There's this, do you ever sense that sometimes we're never too far from first century Israel when it comes to governmental understanding of the kingdom? Yeah. That we have a tendency to want to say this kingdom that we're asking for is God to come and make his rule very plain in like our structures and our superstructures as it kind of represents ruling of the land. But I think... First of all, what God is asking us to pray for here is like this kind of cosmic victory, which is attached to everything we said before about what it means that he would come and save a people, draw people unto himself. And that would first happen from the inside out. You're going to see that outside in's focus, so to speak, in the subsequent causes. But this idea that like we're asking for cosmic victory is both the understanding that we're asking God to regenerate and to save his elect. But it is the exact opposite of saying, well, we either need God to come and build up these edifices or these organizations that would like explicitly promulgate Christian idealism. And then secondly, it is also not asking God to be made king because the scripture is clear, especially David in the Psalms, that God is already king. So really, I think what we're asking for here is that God will come and redeem the heavens and the earth that he has made. It's more like we have instead 
this land in which we're emissaries. Yeah. And it's been taken over by a foreign enemy power and asking God to come and to restore it, to revitalize it to, I mean, in some ways this is kind of a revolutionary, like I'm trying not to evoke star Wars. Yeah. Like this is kind of like a revolutionary prayer, but not in the sense that I take up arms, right? but in a sense to push back the evil in the darkness yeah. by asking God to make light come into the space first of the human heart so that it might be changed predominantly. And then therefore, of course, but this great expression of God's love and his saving power that would be manifest. But it's almost, again, not in the way that you think. Right. This kingdom coming first is this idea of God coming with cosmic victory into the space of the human heart, into the will, to break it, to crush it, yeah. and to bring it back to the garden. And that is outside of all the things we normally think of, of like, well, this is saying we need God to be king. He's already king. Right. He doesn't need to be more king. He's already king. We're talking about like a different kind of redemption and victory. Yeah. Well, and that's something that I think is important. Um, so when we talk, generally when we talk about the Reformed tradition or Reformed confessional years, we're talking about the Westminster tradition. And it's not to say that the continental tradition with the three forms of unity right. is different, although there are there are some differences. More or less, they're saying the same thing. That's why sometimes people call them like the six forms of unity. But the Westminster Standards, the shorter and larger catechism, um, and the confessions, they're all mutually interpreting. And so it's important to remember that when we talk about the kingdom— that's a word in in confessional Westminster theology that has a specific meaning. Right. And so just if you read out of chapter 25 of the Westminster Confession, which is the, the ecclesiology chapter on the church, article two says, the visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. So when when the Westminster divines are using the phrase kingdom, and when they see this concept of the kingdom of God in the scripture, what they really are thinking of and referring to is the church. Right. So as I said, like we tend to think about kingdom, we think about God's rulership over the world, and we're going to get to that. Mm -hmm. But but. God's kingdom, and I know this is somewhat of a controversial statement, God's kingdom on earth is predominantly found in the walls of the visible church. So, you know, and the the, the invisible church broadly, but the, the visible expression of that is the visible church. So when we're praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, what we're asking is for the church and the people who comprise the church on earth to be more and more transformed into the the proper image of the heavenly church, which is already the way that God intends it to be, as opposed to the church militant on earth, the church visible, that is still being transformed and shaped and prepared into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just think that's a really key key insight that the divines give us, is that we're not, we're not talking about and thinking of um, political kingdoms. Right. We're not talking about a theocracy. We're not even necessarily talking about the way that the civil magistrates right, exactly. um, execute justice. All, all of that will come. That's part of part of our reformed heritage and part of, I think, what we're getting at in this prayer in later portions of it. Right. But what we're asking for here is for God to make his people into the kind of people that he desires them to be, which of course we know he's already doing. He, it's already agreeable to his will for us to pray that way, but for us to explicitly remember that we need to seek God's assistance as we pray, we need to seek God's assistance in, in, in God's 
empowering to transform us and shape us into that image of his son that he desires us to be. And that's a big ask, right? It's it's something you can only ask of God and which we should only ask of God because only he can do. So I like that differentiation because to ask for political consequence, to ask for even like some kind of imposed ethical and moral framework is just too small. And what we're saying here also is not that we pray this with fingers crossed, right. like would God bring about something that hasn't already established? In many ways, this is just standing on the promise that he has done this and would he continue to do this? But it is a reflection of our contingent nature once again, that he builds his church. And then what struck me about what you just read is this emphasis, not only in the kingdom of God, but specifying that's the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ is in principally his resurrection. So this is the resurrecting of these dry bones. It is not, of course, somehow coming and correcting human frailty or misguided intentions. It's not, I guess, as it were, like restoring or rehabilitating. It is a true regeneration. So this kingdom that we're asking for is not that God would make bad people good, but that he would make dead people alive. Right. And that's the kingdom we're asking for. It's far bigger and far better than any kind of like, again, temporal structure or architecture that would allow us to have some modicum of like better living or more abundant life in the sense of just better behavior. Right. It's far bigger than that. And again, to me, I see so much that's missional in this. Yeah. So we're asking God to do the thing which he said he will do, draw the nations onto himself, create where I kind of click dragging and dropping like everything in Revelation in the sense of a, all the people's tribes, tongues united together saying, God, would you do this thing and do it now in our time? Yeah. Come and build your kingdom, the kingdom that is already established in heaven before there was even time itself. Would you come and make that known and present among us today and do it in this way through your resurrection power? It is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think maybe kind of the last thing to to reflect on a little bit too is when we ask for God's kingdom to come, we're also like praying that God would hasten the end of time, like that he would he for would sure. hasten the return of his son. Um, obviously, that is a, a loaded kind of a statement. God's timing is already fixed. It's not as though God's going to be like, oh, wow, they're asking for me to send the sun back sooner. I guess I should probably get on right. top of that's Enough not what we're right. That's not what we're saying. And there are some theological positions that would say we can actually right. change God's timeline as He's it not were. Crowdsourcing. Right. That's not what we're saying. But we are um, we're echoing that prayer at the end of at the end of the entire Bible. Right. Come Lord right. Jesus. Right. That's that's the prayer of the believer is we long to see Christ. We long to see his kingdom uh, in force on earth as it is in heaven. That's just the natural uh, desire of the Christian. Right. I don't know. I don't know any Christians that I have encountered that don't in some sense long for this sin tainted world to be renewed and to be restored and for that to come. And I think especially maybe even just to go back to, to our earlier discussion about Christian liberalism, it feels very much at times like the world is becoming darker and darker and darker. Now I'm an, I'm an optimistic amillennialist um, and you're at least last time we talked about you're a post-millennialist. So we, we both have different perspectives on right. sort of like what's going to happen before the end of time. But even in, 
even an optimistic Amel like me is going to say that there are ebbs and flows in the history of things. Sometimes it's darker. Sometimes it's less dark. We are living in a time that feels very dark. And I think that a lot of Christians do long for Christ to come and make things right. And that's a good prayer. I think sometimes, sometimes Christians might feel a little, um, a little guilty about that. I know when I was back in my pre-reformed world days, when I was one of the few major theological shifts I've ever made in my life is I stopped being a dispensationalist, mm-hmm. right? And so when I when I went from being a dispensationalist to um, not being a dispensationalist, I could recall during my time as a dispensationalist praying that the rapture would happen, like praying right. that that would come soon and then right. sort of feeling guilty about that because it's like, well, I want Jesus to come back, but there's all these lost people. Is it selfish for me to want Jesus to come back sooner? Or, you know, is that just me trying to escape this? Um, and that's not, a, that's not a dispensational bugaboo. I mean, I think there might be elements of it that are heightened in a rapture schema. But right. that's, I think that's something that's common among all Christians. But this prayer is teaching us, no, it's, it's not only okay to pray for Christ's return to come soon. It's commanded that we pray that way. And it's, it's demonstrated in the Bible. The last prayer of the Bible is come Lord Jesus. Right. So, so we should be able to pray that in a, a full-throated, without our fingers crossed and without regret kind of way. And I think this prayer helps us to sort of get there when we understand that that's actually part of what we're praying for. Here. Right. And because Jesus gives this to us in this pattern, I think it's helpful as we've been talking about this, that really all these petitions, in many ways, they work us. Right. And so it's a reminder that this should be a desire of ours. The more that we fall into this pattern of prayer, in which we're recognizing that the best of all states is that God would come, that he'd do the thing he promised, he'd come and redeem his people, and that that ultimate redemption comes in the return of his son, which for the Christian will be that glorious moment. Yeah, There's a lot, of course, it's been written all kinds of ink spilled on this topic of what it means to really test your faith and the sincerity of that faith if you somehow would not want Jesus to come or right. you want uh, some kind of heavenly realm without him. And so I think it's a reminder. It sets our places. It continues to like reset us yeah. and bring us back to some kind of center about what it means to have this kingdom. The kingdom isn't like your best life now with God superimposed on top of right. it or to have like your principle yeah. superimposed on everybody else, but instead to have relationship unbridled, like you said, like unreserved, free and clear and restored relationship with God. And that will only really happen in its fullness upon return or our death. But even still, when when God makes all things new, gives us new heaven and new earth. So, man, I didn't expect we'd get into so much revelation and so much eschatology on this. But I think you're right. When we pray this over and over, it's not that we convince ourselves, that God convinces us that the best of all worlds is the one in which God comes quickly to restore his people, to save his people. And even when we see that kingdom manifest now, in certain ways, its fullness is yet to come. It is, of course, both now and not yet. And everything's impounded in those three words. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've I've been on this stoicism kick. And one of the things, um, one of the things that happens in stoicism, and, and this is really, I think, more modern stoicism than it is like the actual stoic philosophers. A lot of it is self-talk, right? It's, it's about identifying who the kind of person you want to be is, and then telling yourself and not, not in the sort of like cheap, you know, 
I'm I'm such a great dude and just like saying I'm, that I'm with you. Right. Saying that so many times you believe it. It's not that. It's rerouting your identity, right? right? It's, it. it's identifying who it is that you want to be. Yes. And then when when a statement comes up that is contrary to that, you refute that statement. First and foremost, by the life you're living. Right. If you want to be the kind of person that controls your passions, the Stoics would say that the first thing you need to do is just start to control your passions. And when a situation presents itself to you where you've lost control of your passions, that's when you say, this is not the kind of person that I am. Right. Right. And the Lord's Prayer in this sort of eschatological register is it is that for the Christian. Right. We pray this. I think most of us probably would do well to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Um, not not because there's any magic in the words or or that we're commanded on that level of specificity, but this is a prayer that the Lord has given us for our instruction and for patterning ourselves after. Right. And the practice of doing it is good for our souls. But on top of that, as creatures who are still corrupt by sin, as much as we want Jesus's kingdom to come, there's also part of us that doesn't want that. Right, exactly. Right? And so praying and, and asking the Lord day in and day out to bring his kingdom, to, to make us the kind of people that are ready for his kingdom, that are prepared for his, keep, for his kingdom, that will change us in a similar way to the sort of like stoic repeating who you are to yourself right. kind of a way. Yes. It's a way to reinforce the identity that is chosen for, I'm putting this in air quotes, chosen for you've chosen for yourself you've chosen that you're going to be the kind of person who wants Christ's kingdom to come right and the lord's prayer functions as a way for us to sort of like pound that into our souls until until we've conformed to it until we've Correct. been conformed to right. it so i just think it's really a healthy thing for us to do to think about this and we'll find that same theme through the rest of this right when we get into the other petitions they will change us the same way that this petition yes. will if we pray them faithfully Yes. That's that dog knows. That dog is like, yeah. I don't know if everybody can I know hear that. that. Probably not. These mics are probably not. That's true. They're like it's it sounds like we're still in our studios. Yeah. Like nothing is actually <laughs> We didn't use we last one time we recorded here we used the uh the like omnidirectional microphone. Yes. We should I should have brought that. That was because we had omnidirectional Lutherans. It's true. Actually on that particular occasion. That's true, yeah. Yeah, I th I'm with you. I think that one of the things I'm appreciating about us talking in this measured way about the Lord's Prayer is that as I go through it now in my own space, in my own time, as I'm saying these words, either literally out loud or in my own head, I'm drawn back to little snippets of things we talked about. Yeah. And so it's not that the Lord's Prayer is more rich. It's always been rich. Is that my appreciation of it and my eyes and mind have been opened up to all of the things that surround these words, these phrases, yeah. these petitions. And so the petition of your kingdom come is now this grander idea and it's attached to all the things we just talked about. And maybe one time I'm praying it and what comes to mind is the eschatological reality of this prayer. Right. Maybe another time it is, like you said, this reminder that God works in us in prayer, not principally we on him. Yeah. And so he uses it as a great blessing and a gift to us. It's an exercise of, of spiritual muscle to come and to appreciate and to know and to understand him more deeply in the communication that he has given us. Like he knows what's best. Yeah. So yes, I think we ought to keep after it and making it a daily pattern in so much as it is maybe each of these phrases, a foil for all these lovely, wonderful truths and asking God to do that great work because we're principally asking that God would uphold the, the thing that he's 
delivered to us now is he says, pray like this. Yeah. So it's not just pray these words like we talked about, pray like this and know that in doing so, God blesses that. So I sense that as we wrap up this little episode here on this little porch, that we're about to go into six minutes of Timothy Brindall. It's true. Except that we couldn't get him. So yeah. so I'm just going to wrap for six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Nobody would stop listening. Nobody Everybody would, would stop, want to hear. Yeah. Everybody would want to hear that. That would go viral for all of the wrong reasons, I think. <laughs> That'd be the end of our podcast, probably. Or maybe I'd become famous. And I'd, have, I'd be on the show with Sinclair Ferguson. Yeah, that would be amazing. I'd be happy for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think we're probably going to be getting to that point where it's a real possibility that the police may be called because we're going to be in like That's violation true. of the noise ordinance. We're just out here having a great it's conversation. It's true. It's getting darker by the minute. It is. So I think we should wrap it up, Jesse. I'm super, super stoked about the rest of the series. I, I, I'm running into the same phenomena that we ran into with the Ten Commandments series. Yeah. We're like every time we come to this. I think oh, this is going to be kind of like just a really straightforward, let's talk <laughs> right. about these three words, like episode. And then it becomes this like laying me bare by the scriptures kind of a thing yeah, that's going to sure. like really change me and affect me. And I just, it's, I don't know why I'm surprised anymore when that happens. Like, obviously we're, we're literally just discussing the scriptures and what, right. what Christ has taught us about prayer. Right. Of course that's going to change us. Yeah. So I'm stoked for this to to continue for us to finish, you know, keep going on these uh, petitions and um, yeah, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to be an ocean Grove. Uh, so I'm, I'm stoked for it. this breeze that just blew through here. Then that, how that's probably just destroying this mic right now. They can now. probably hear it on yours, but not mine because <laughs> mine has a pop. I have no, yeah, this, this mic is just totally naked. No windscreen. It's true. Nothing. You're getting the full experience, <laughs> which I can only hope somebody would be like, was that like a car wheel, like turning maniacally in the background? It'd be like, no. that was somebody trying to park. Yeah, the there you go. Parallel park the car. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, let's do this again soon. Yes. How do you feel do about this. that? And until then, Jesse, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Yeah.